0: Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at celebrationedm. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. We're we'll continuing with our series on uh, the letter of James. Um, I, I I have a thing about ice cream in the summertime. I don't have this problem in the wintertime, but in the summertime man, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that an ice cream stop happens. You know what I'm saying? Come on, how many How many got the same addiction and you refuse to repent in Jesus' name? Okay, it's all good. So one hot summer day, we were... Uh, at at the lake with friends and decided to take our boat and go for ice cream. It's about a 25-minute boat ride, and so I don't recall what the weather predictions were before we left, but what I do distinctly remember is being at the ice cream counter, ordering our ice cream, and hearing the noise of the tornado siren in the background on the radio. Uh, Yeah, that always brings warm and fuzzy feelings to you when you can hear that that warning going off and and it's so distinct and so loud. And so we're hearing this siren, we're getting our ice cream, but it's just a warning. I mean, it's just a warning and uh, it's for a very large region as well. So I was not gonna let a tornado siren decide on how I was gonna live my day, okay? Now, I could have stayed there and I could have just waited it out, but no, 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 no. So I thought, you know what, let's just ignore the warning And let's just get into the boat and head back immediately, just in case, just in case. Well, by the time we got back, the wind was so strong, we could not even dock the boat. We just had to like beeline it for the beach and beach it. And that that was all that we could do and wait for the storm to be over before we could correct all of that. Following the instruction of the warning siren would have been so much better Than getting my way. Come on, are you with me? And that kind of can be a little bit like our attitude sometimes towards the word of God. James chapter 4 and verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you do not have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war and take away from them, yet you do not have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you wanna be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that he, uh, sorry, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Look here, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town. We're going to stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Chapter four kind of picks up off of chapter three, where chapter three, we talked a lot about that last week and how it focuses on envy and the subject of envy, but this expounds more on some of the motivation behind it. Pride is the mother of envy. Yeah, Pride is the mother of envy. And this chapter talks about the manifestations of pride and how it can happen in our lives because pride is what actually keeps us from having God's best in our life. It really does. It just keeps us from having and living a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Before though, looking at our walk with God, the Lord gives us all these examples of pride and how they sort of work their way out in our life, how they manifest and we might even be unaware of them. He begins by talking about strife and, and, and conflict and these things. See, I don't know about you, but when I'm in some kind of strife or conflict with somebody, it's not me, it's them. <laughs> it's happened to you too. I can see, I can see that. But it is, it's the way we tend to think, isn't it? I mean, we get into some kind of strife. It's like it's not me, it's you. It's your attitude. It's their choices. It's what they have said. It's their conduct that is bringing this all about and you think that you have strife with people because of what they did or what they didn't do or what they said or all these things, but the scripture actually warns us that it's actually coming from within you, not from something around you. You didn't get your way, and that's why there's conflict. Pride always wants things my way. That's the way it is. You wanted things to go as you desired, And when it didn't happen, the relationship turned to strife. Why? Because your pride did not get satisfied. You didn't get your way. Pride always wants its way. That's the root of strife. I should get my way. And that's the agenda of pride is to put yourself first. But the opposite is humility. So what does humility look like? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. Humility considers the interests of others. Another manifestation of pride is brought about when, when he starts talking about judging and criticizing. When we enter into judgment towards others who are around us, what happens is this. We put them down in order to lift ourselves up. Pride always elevates. That's the way it is. It elevates us. Judgment assumes that you know know actually more than what you do. And, And here's why. Because most of the time when we judge, we don't talk about what they did. We talk about why they did it. Our tendency in judgment and criticism is to attack their motives like as if we know them, like as if we actually know their heart. Here's the truth. You don't know them. You don't know their motivation. You don't know their heart. That is something only God knows. That's why only God is qualified to judge. When we're criticized, when we criticize rather, it's insinuating something and that is this that I would have done better than what you did. Again, it's just pride. It's just self-elevation. One translation uses the word slander. Slander. The idea here is that our judging and our criticizing is to make others look bad in the eyes of others. Therefore, again, it's pride, why? Because we're elevating ourselves by devaluing others. Another manifestation of pride is brought up. I call it the pride of independence. Boasting in what you're gonna do. If you notice how the passage is written it's someone declaring their plans and God isn't mentioned at all. It's like here's what I'm going to do, here's where I'm going to go, here's what I'm going to build, here's here's and God is not a part of that conversation. It's absolute independence. Verse 16 says, "Otherwise you are boasting about your own pretentious plans." Then the correction comes, and it comes in two different ways. First of all, he says this. He says You have no idea what tomorrow will bring. You have no idea what tomorrow will bring. Man, that is such a true statement, such a true statement. In our pride, you know, we can think, oh, I got the world by the horns, you know, kind of thing. Like I'm in the driver's seat. I am the author of my destiny. You have no idea what tomorrow will bring. I mean, who'd have thought back in 2019 that the last several years would look like they did? If we'd have had a conversation in 2019 and said, you're gonna have two years of a pandemic, you're gonna have unbelievable inflation, you know, there's gonna be this this war that is still not over, the war in Ukraine, all these, if we'd have talked about that, you'd have said, you're a crazy person. You're a crazy person. Why? Because we had no idea that would happen. But if there's one thing I learned just going through that experience or one thing I've certainly felt is just how little control we actually have in our life. That's why it's great to be hooked up to Jesus because he's not changing. He's staying the same. He is the rock, he's solid ground. And no matter what's going on around you, you don't have to be shaken by all the change going on in the world because God is not changing. God is not shaken. He is not nervous or upset about it. He's not worried about it. We keep our lives rooted in him. We stand strong. That's the way it is. But what the scripture is warning about is the pride of independence. I got it all under control. No, you don't. It's the way it is. That's why we put our trust in him. That's why we put our trust in him. But here's the second thing it brings up. He says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. I want to shed some light on this because I think this is probably one of those most misunderstood and misapplied scriptures. This is not some kind of Calvinistic predestination statement. This verse gets taken out of context and and what happens is, is people will pray the promises of God and then put a tagline or a caveat on that prayer Like, okay, God, like, if it's your will. Well, the promises of God are already declaring God's will, so our prayers for his promise don't need the caveat put on them. Come on. We can just embrace the promises. We can pray the promises. I'm not gonna pray, Lord, I pray my friend Jim, who does not know Jesus, will open up his heart to receive Jesus. How many know that's a biblical prayer right there? I'm not gonna add to that, if it be thy will. I didn't make Jim to go to hell. Come on. And yet that sometimes is the mind frame. So let me clear it up. It's meant to be a statement, though, of interdependence. That's what it's about. It's where you and I make plans. But listen, we make prayerful plans. Because guess what? We are actually to be seeking the Lord's will. And out of seeking the Lord's will, we make plans, but they include seeking the Lord, looking for his leadership, not plans of independence and pride, but plans of interdependence and humility, not living in the boast of independence from God. Then the scripture begins to talk about our relationship with the Lord. Pride is what can keep you from all that God has for you, but humility is what brings you close to God. Pride can show up in your prayer life where you're asking God to bless you with wrong motives. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But the prayer of pride is, Lord, bless my plans. When we should be seeking the Lord for his plans. And listen, If you seek the Lord for his plans, how many know this? God's plans are already blessed. They already are. And maybe the reason you're wrestling with God to get a blessing on your plans is because your plans aren't his plans and you need to change your plans. But the scripture warns us that those who pray with wrong motive aren't gonna experience God answering them. Now, here's, here's what we don't do. Here's what we don't do. When our prayers are not being answered for God to bless our plans, we don't double-check our heart motive behind them. I mean, if you do, bless you. Man, you're, you're more holy than me. But I know me, I, I probably won't. I just like, it'll take a bit for God to kind of slap me up the head and go, what are you thinking? And when we don't double-check our heart plans, here's, here's what happens. We get disappointed with God. We've been asking God to bless this. We've been asking God to bless that. It hasn't been working. Now we're disappointed with God. Our disappointment with God turns to unbelief, and it can ruin your faith. And he goes on to talk about divided loyalty, committing adultery in your relationship with Jesus, having an affair with life in the world while you've made a commitment to Christ. It uses the term adulterer because the church is the bride of Christ. God views our relationship to Jesus as a marriage relationship. That is the picture, that is the image, that is what it looks like. It should have fidelity to it. It should be single-minded. We are in a covenant relationship sealed by the blood of Christ. That's what we are in. Adultery is when you break that singular devotion by connecting with another. And the scripture calls it divided loyalty. So you say you love God, but you still hold a place in your heart for the ways of the world. What does it mean when the Bible says you're a, you're a friend of the world? You're a, you're a friend of the world. Well, it's continuing to be friendly or accepting of the ways and the values of our world around us that are not condoned by God or his word. It's being committed to Christ, but your conduct reflects an acceptance Of the ways of culture. And so you can be that person who says, Well, I'm committed to Jesus, but you fight and argue in relationships like everybody else. Or you covet and are materialistic like everybody else. Or you slander and gossip and criticize like everybody else does at work, where at lunch they're eating roast boss. (laughs) You can even have unbiblical morals like everybody else, and your use of your alcohol habits, premarital sex, just like everybody else. You do all the things that others do in life who do not even profess a faith in Jesus. And you look like the rest of the world around you, though you claim to have Christ in your world. And the Bible describes you as salt that has lost its flavor. In other words, you don't make any difference because you fit in. When Jesus comes into your life, the response is meant to be repentance, not just acceptance. Sometimes people hear the gospel in, in a way that minimizes it down to, will you would just accept Jesus? like, just just believe in Him, accept him, accept him, accept him." Yeah, that's great. You should accept Christ, but you're also supposed to repent. And the definition of repentance is to change your way of life as a result of complete change of thought and attitude regarding sin and righteousness. You can't say yes to a God who died on a cross for you and then walk away and continue to live in relationship with the rest of the world just like the rest of the world. Your ways are meant to change because of your faith. Without repentance, here's what you have. Divided loyalty. Being a friend of the world, though, can actually be more subtle than this. I mean, I'm giving you pretty upfront, graphic, you know, examples, but it can actually be more subtle. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of Demas, and uh, he was working with Paul in ministry. Second Timothy four ten makes this statement about him. It says, "For Demas, this is Paul speaking, because he loved this world, has deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica." Demas, because he loved this world. The word love there means to like or to love something on the basis of like a high regard for its value or its importance. In other words, pride in Demas' life elevated the things of the world. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. When you read about Demas, and here that he loved the world and that was his reason for leaving the apostle Paul. Here's what you need to understand, a few things. First of all, his love for the world took him out of the purposes of God that were on his life. I promise you that he was with Paul because of the call of God that was on his life, not because he was just some guy that had some free time that could hang out with him. He had a call of God in his life. That's why he would be in ministry and connected with Paul. But he loved the world. Now, when it says he loved the world, it's not like Demas went back to a bar. It's not like he just went back to the casino or, you know, some former girlfriend or whatever. He probably didn't even deny his faith in Jesus. Otherwise, the scripture would have said so. Instead, they said, no, he just just loved the world. Here's the deal. He loved Jesus, but, but he loved the world too. He had divided loyalty. What is believed about Demas is this, that in doing ministry with the Apostle Paul, things just got a little too uncomfortable while living on mission. How many of you know, if you read your Bible, <laughs> if you read your Bible, when you read your Bible, <laughs> when you read your Bible, that is better, and you read about the Apostle Paul's life, you got to know comfort wasn't... An indicator of being in the ministry. Um, discomfort certainly was. Demas loved comfort more than his calling. Comfort. Comfort's a huge value in our world. I mean, we we build our lives around comfort. Our our homes are designed for comfort. We go buy furniture. What are we doing? We're checking out. How comfortable it is. We we get our cars. We want to have comfort in our cars. That's why we have so many things going on in there. You know, we could set the temperature and it takes care of it. We have seats that'll heat us, that'll cool us, that'll massage us. It's ridiculous, actually. We use our time according to what's comfortable for us. We even have comfort food, for crying out loud. Demas just valued his personal comfort more than his calling, the call to be an ambassador for Christ, the call to represent Jesus by serving others, the call to turn from temptation and choose holiness. The call means you being conformed into the image of Christ. That's part of your purpose, by the way, and it's not comfortable having God change your character, The call isn't always comfortable, but here's what it always is. The call is always most fulfilling. Living in the call of God is always most fulfilling. Listen, if you're praying a prayer that goes like this, God, would you use me? Here's what that prayer means. That prayer means that God is going to put you in the lives of people who are in pain. And it's not comfortable and it's challenging, and it's awkward, and it can be demanding, but it's what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus of which we as Christians are all called to be. For any of us to be used by God to make a difference, here's what that means. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable for God so that others can be comforted by God. Since humility is what brings us closest to God, the question becomes, well, what does that humility look like? What does it look like? What should our relationship look like to God's word? Here's the deal. Humility, the definition of, the humi- of humility is, is really simply put this way, to get low, to get low. And so what humility is all about is putting your life, this is a Bible, by the way, if you're wondering what this is, it's putting your life under the word of God. We're to get low. We're to get low. We're to live our lives under the Word of God. What do you mean by that? That means I have an opinion, but if I'm walking in humility, my opinion is under the Word of God, It's submitted to God's opinion. I may have a thought about some things, but what does God think about it? I'm gonna walk in humility and stay under His Word. I may have judgments about things. I may have beliefs about things, but I submit them to the Word of God. I get low. I stay under Pride is when we put ourselves over the Word of God. Yeah, I know this is what the Bible says, but this is what I think. Yeah, I know this is what God wants, but, but in my life, you know, it's just a little different. So I, I don't think that's really meant for me. Oh, I know this is what the Scripture says, but it's 2023. Guess what? You're still human and God is still God. The scripture is still the Word of God. It still speaks to you. You're not to put yourself over the Word of God. You're to keep your life under the Word of God. And when you do that, the Word of God blesses your life and your relationship with Jesus grows. James chapter one and verse 21. says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Then it says this, in humility receive the word implanted. In other words, he's saying you need to have a posture towards God's word of humility. A posture that says, I'm under this, I'm receiving this with a posture being under it. The problem becomes when you position it more like here and your, and your posture isn't humility, but it's something else, your posture is maybe resisting the word of God, or maybe it's evaluating the word of God, or maybe it's just arguing about the word of God and why it shouldn't really apply, or maybe excusing your disobedience to God's word, but, or just responding with unbelief. Ah, God says this, he wants to use me, he, I'm forgiven, ah, blah, 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 whatever, I don't really believe that. Listen, If your posture isn't humility, you are not getting under the word of God. You're putting yourself over the word of God. Humility does not treat God's word as just another opinion. That's what pride does. Pride elevates humility, gets low, gets low. In every area of life, we are to honor the word of God. We are to get low by putting ourselves under the instruction of God's word. And here's the here's the beautiful thing about that. You will get over what you need to get over when you get under what you need to get under. In other words, a lot of times the reason people still have issues in their life is they've never surrendered under the word of God. They're they're still living a life where there's just blatant disobedience to scripture, and then wonder, why aren't things changing? After all, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but here's the problem: you haven't gotten under, you haven't gotten low. You still live in pride. You still do things your way and have your excuses for disobedience to Scripture. Today, liberal churches are working to reinterpret Scripture to fit a lawless culture in the name of love and tolerance. What they call love and tolerance, God's Word calls lawless, lawless. Here's the deal. Here's what you need to keep in mind. When Jesus met sinners Sinners changed, Jesus didn't. When Jesus met sinners, sinners changed, Jesus didn't. Humility will trust God at his word. When we respond with unbelief and tell God what he can and cannot do in our lives, frankly, it's just pride. You can do whatever God says you can do. Faith embraces what God says about you, your identity, your ability—it's an act of humility. You know, Abraham had to go into a city that he didn't even know where it was; he didn't know it existed. But in faith, he followed God. But that's what faith does. Faith says, "God, I don't know how this is all going to turn out, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you." And in humility, he trusted. He trusted. And the Bible says, though, he didn't know where he was going. Humility follows Jesus, not fully knowing what life will turn out like, but we do fully know that what God has in store by way of his promises and how he wants to work in our life. Humility acts on the promises of God, listen, before the results are seen. Before the results are seen. Trusting God is an act of humility. Here's my question to you. What do you need to trust God with today? What, what do you need to trust God with today? What, where in your life have you maybe been doing a little bit of this, where it's like, well, I know this is what the Bible says, but, and you've been putting yourself above the Word of God, when you need to trust God and put your life under His Word. Where do you need to trust God? Maybe it's sharing your faith, Maybe it's like you got people around you that do not know Jesus, but, but you've been shy and keeping your mouth shut when you need to trust God. You need to speak up. You need to get some boldness. You need to engage that spiritual conversation. You need to make that invitation to church. Maybe you need to trust God with your pain and, and make a choice that says, I'm gonna forgive. See, when we forgive, here's what we're doing. We're trusting God for our healing. Come on. When, when we don't forgive, we're saying, well, I'm, going to, I'm just gonna figure this out myself. No, no, you need to trust God with your pain by forgiving so he can heal you. Maybe you need to trust God in the area of generosity. It's kind of a sad story, but I'll tell it anyway. One time I was, just before I did a funeral for somebody, they asked me to come and meet them while they were they were on their deathbed, basically. And they said, I, I wanna make a confession to you. I said, oh, what is it? She said, I've been a Christian most of my life and I've never tithed. What a sad thing. What a sad thing that they never shaped their life to honor God financially and to do something so simple as tithing. Maybe you need to trust God with holiness and and, and literally take a step that says, I need to separate myself from this relationship that is leading me immorally and take that step maybe that's where you need to get your life under the word of God. Humility chooses obedience. Remember that it was Jesus who prayed before being crucified. What did he pray? He prayed, if this could be taken away, if this could like not happen, then he prayed, but not my will, but your. Think about that. That's so amazing, so amazing. You know, you'd be around church for a long time. You're just kind of used to the idea. Oh yeah, Jesus went to the cross and died for us, rose again from the grave, and kind of. But we we need to connect with the humanity side of Jesus and realize that He did not want to go to the cross. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. That's why He was struggling in prayer. And then what does He pray? He says, "But not my will." but your will. How I many you know something? You might have something in your world right now where everything about you is saying, I don't wanna do that, I don't wanna do that, I don't wanna do that, and you need to pray a prayer of humility like Jesus did and declare to God, but not my will, your will be done. Your will be done. Philippians 2.8 says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient, even obedient to death on the cross. This is how you get close to God. You seek Him with an attitude that is seeking His will in your life, not blessing your will in your life. Let's stand as we take time to pray. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at CelebrationEmmething.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.